Hey everyone, welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Abijamra and I'm your host. I am excited to be back with you another week, another chance to talk about faith, God, culture, and everything in between. We're in a series called Dear Lena, where we talk about biblical truth for everyday life. And uh, we do that in order to restore hope in a post-Christian Uh, world. We are living in a world where people don't believe in God anymore. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you do. And I do. We believe in God's word. And so today we're going to hit up a question about the Holy Spirit. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, In the meantime, let me remind you to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. And if you ever have a question for me, you can send it to dearlina at livingwithpower.org. Again, it's awesome to be with you. Every week somebody sends me a question and I try to give you three bullet point answers as to uh, my thoughts um, to the question. And uh, uh, I hope you find these questions useful. Uh, today's question will sort of address a couple of different things as they relate to the Holy Spirit. Uh, here we go. Dear Lena, when is one filled with the Holy Spirit and what are the outward signs of being filled with the Spirit? And then the follow-up question, what does it mean to be anointed? You hear people talking about, he's so anointed. Uh, do you have an anointing? You know, so what does that mean? It sort of has to do with the Holy Spirit. So I want to address both of those in sort of three bullet point answers. And um, we've talked about the Holy Spirit before, so I, I think this will just build on that. But here's my first thought. There is a difference between the Spirit being in me and me being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a concept of... Uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, this happens for every believer at the moment of salvation. So there's one baptism that happens at salvation and then many fillings. Let me just give you uh, some uh, verses to sort of explain that. And Paul, uh, the, uh, the apostle uh, Paul, wrote a letter to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12. He talked about the spiritual gifts. And then he says, for just as the body is one and has many members, he's talking about the, the body of Christ, the church, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one uh, spirit. And uh, uh, whereas the the other, uh, by the way, Acts chapter 2, I believe in the the Pentecost um, uh, message where uh, Peter says to them, um, repent in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the promise is given, of course, this, in Pentecost, there was an obvious indwelling of the Holy Spirit that was that first manifestation of the Holy Spirit that was presented with fire on uh, on the heads of believers. Um, that was a very unique event, and then Peter's message was that in repentance and baptism, that, that turning around, that repentance into salvation, the Holy Spirit becomes... Uh, the gift of something that we receive from God. It is is received by faith. There's nothing you need to do for it. You just receive Jesus Christ's salvation, um, his payment of your sin by his death on the cross. And the minute you turn from your own ways, from your own sin and and turn to Jesus, that becomes part of who you are. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And so in one spirit, you become baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Now, elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 Uh, Paul talks uh, about um, how to live your Christian life. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And now he compares sort of this drunkenness with wine with being filled with the Spirit. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So so just like wine sort of, when you drink enough wine, you become under the control of wine and it sort of takes over your thinking. And this, this is a negative example of what the Christian ought to look like, which is to be filled with the Spirit to where the Spirit is controlling us. And so that is not 
a one-time event, the baptism of the Spirit. That in Ephesians is talking about the regular filling and the regular filling of the believer in day-to-day life with the Holy Spirit so that there's this openness, the receptivity to saying, God, I'm not my own. I know that I have already been baptized into the Spirit. I've been dwelt by the Spirit and now I yield myself to the Spirit. So the indwelling of the Spirit, that baptism of the Spirit is God's gift to me at the moment of salvation. Whereas the filling of the Spirit is God's command to me in my everyday life. So so I'm indwelt by the Spirit by faith at salvation. I am filled with the Spirit daily in my everyday life uh, by an intentional of course it's only god can 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 accomplish it but there's a willingness on my part a, a, a realization a um, yieldedness that happens uh, day by day and so um, there's a difference between the spirit being in me and me being filled with the spirit and um and that takes uh the willingness uh, to experience God at that level, I think I think I've, I've read this before. If I can find it in my Bible here, this uh, uh, sentence that I found always so uh, incredibly moving and powerful: the amount of power we experience to live this victorious, triumphant Christian life is directly proportional to the freedom we give the Spirit to be the Lord of our life. So when we talk about being filled with the Spirit. It is this amount of power we experience to live victoriously and triumphantly as a Christian is in direct proportion to the freedom we give the Spirit to be the Lord of our life. That freedom, that is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's saying, God, I am no longer living for myself. I'm dead to sin. Now you live in me and I'm, I'm giving you uh, free reign over my decisions, over my words today, over my actions. That is an active, intentional uh, willingness to follow, to obey God's command of, to be filled with the Spirit of God. All right? So there's a difference between that one-time event and that daily filling. Now, um, the, the original Dearlina, when is one filled with the Spirit? at salvation. And what are the outward signs of being filled with the Spirit? Um, l- let, me, let me sort of, when people talk about outward signs, I think I know what they're asking. I don't want to read into that question, but let me give you a big point number two. There is a difference between being filled with the Spirit and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. Two different things. So when you're filled with the Spirit, um, the greatest gift that the Spirit gives us, the greatest gift of the Spirit is a yielded heart to the ways of God. So this entire idea of me saying, God, yes, you can have my thoughts, you can have my ways, you can have my life, that yieldedness is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So you become indwelt by the Holy Spirit, now you have the ability to say yes to God. That is a gift of the Spirit. So the greatest gift of the Spirit is a yielded heart to the ways of God. So what are the outward signs of being filled with the Spirit? Well, it's this yieldedness, this soft-heartedness. The biggest sign of being filled with the Spirit then, you say, okay, so God gave me this yielded heart. Well, how does that play out? What is the way that you can see this? Well, the biggest sign that I am filled with the Spirit is obedience to God and to His Word. That's it. That's it. If it, The more you see yourself obeying God as opposed to what you want, the more you say yes to God's ways and no to your own ways. And this plays out in any way, financially, what you do with your money, relationally, who you end up marrying, who you end up dating, the words of your mouth, how you end up speaking to others. I mean, the biggest sign that I am absolutely overflowing with the Spirit of God is noted in my obedience to God and to his word. Now you have to know God's word in order to obey it, but but there's a desire, even that longing for God's word, longing to know his ways, that is a gift of the spirit and the sign of being filled with the spirit. So is that I want to do what God wants me to do. 
Okay, so the outward sign of being filled with the Spirit is obedience. It's 110% obedience, 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 obedience to God and His ways. And that, that way of God is different than the way of the world. So if you find yourself sticking out, not sort of, not looking like everybody else in the world, that's good. That means that you're likely uh, being filled with the Spirit. Now, remember the big point number two, there's a difference between being filled with the Spirit and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. The person who asked the question, what are the outward signs of being filled with the Spirit? I believe some of the insinuation there is maybe related to the tongues. You know, there's a lot of people think this language in, in especially the charismatic circles, but in the Christian world, there's a language that talks about being filled with the Spirit and practicing the gifts of the Spirit. And when people use that language, generally they mean, well, can you speak in tongues? Do you, do you prophesy? And so some of those... Um, gifts that are debatable in the body of Christ. There's a range uh, of gifts of the Spirit that are still a point of debate in the church. You've got one extreme of the church that says those gifts are no longer applicable in, in 2020, that, that God gave us uh, the utterance of tongues and, and prophetic gifts back in you know, the early church when there was a need to, to, to see you know, certain miracles in order to, for people to turn their lives towards God, especially people who'd never heard of the gospel, etc. And, and then there's, of course, those people would be the cessationists. They do not believe in the, in the gifts of the Spirit in the way that a charismatic person might, Whereas the charismatic side of the church, they are like, no, man, these guys might be more continuationists. And so they believe that the Spirit still give, gives gifts of the speaking in tongues and, and, uh, and, and prophetic gifts and healings and such. Uh, I'm sort of somewhere in the middle. I don't speak in tongues personally. That will, I had somebody email me once and express massive disappointment to that. I do speak four languages, so I can certainly um, uh, sound like I speak in tongues to many of you at times, which, by the way, in the early church at Pentecost, that was the manifestation of the tongues, was that people spoke in other languages without learning them and I still hear of miracles today uh, where that happens uh, in very unique occasions where God gives this gift of languages um, I recently heard a testimony of somebody who went to be a missionary in Haiti and God gave her that gift not very long ago so that that's awesome I, I believe God can still do those things is still doing those things I hear of many manifestations of those types of gifts that the Spirit gives in the Middle East where um, the need for those gifts is, is there um, but remember also in the New Testament how many times uh, in fact, even after the resurrection of Jesus, when the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus came up to them and they wanted, you know, they were disappointed that Jesus had died and here he was risen next to them and, and they were confused about what was happening. And instead of showing them signs, Jesus took them to the Old Testament prophets. And the same with uh, um, the rich man and Lazarus, when the, the parable that Jesus tells where the rich man dies and he goes to hell and he's crying in hell and, and he says, send them, can't you tell my people that, that heaven and hell are real? And, and the response of Father Abraham was, listen they've got the prophets and so we have the word of God and the word of God has everything we need to understand life and salvation and so um, the gifts are of the spirit it's a debatable issue in the evangelical world in the Christian world in the biblical world you'll see ranges of opinions on how that can display itself and some very strong opinions on one extreme and the other uh, I think again I think most Christians um, recognize that not everybody agrees in this but that they're not a point of um they're not a major, they're maybe more of a minor uh, in, in, in uh, the way that we look at our faith and Christianity. So the range of the gifts of the Spirit are open, uh, still a point of debate uh, in the church. So there's a difference between being filled with the Spirit and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. The context of the gift of the Spirit, of course, the gifts of the Spirit, there are many of them. Uh, I'm going to be teaching on the gifts of the Spirit on the Thursday Night Live in 2021. But in essence, there are many gifts of the Spirit, including um, teaching and administration and compassion. And, and that's a whole other study in and of itself. So I will leave that at that. So there's a difference between the Holy Spirit being in me and me being filled with the Spirit. There's a difference between being filled with the Spirit and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. And thirdly, 
And I'm going to use here, instead of saying there's a difference, I'm going to say there's a distinction between being filled with the Spirit and being anointed by the Spirit, all right? Let me explain that. First of all, um, um, when people talk about this anointing, it's interesting. I, you always want to define, what, what does that mean? What do people mean uh, about anointing? And purely speaking, the, um, the word anointing, you know, if you look at sort of the meaning of anointing in the, in the Old Testament, really that word anointing is what shepherds used to do to the sheep. They would take oil. It always had to do with oil. And they would pour the oil on the head of the sheep in order to protect them from these insects that would come into their ears. And so it was a protective uh, means. And so a shepherd would anoint their sheep as an act of protecting them. Um, that, that word anointing in the Old Testament is often used uh, uh, to show someone who is set apart, empowered, and protected by God for a mission. Um, and, and I really believe still in the New Testament, there, well, in the New Testament, the word anointed is used twice, very simply put. First time is in first uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. And then the second time is in 1 John 2, verse 20. And so in... Uh, in the Corinthians passage, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says in verse 21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Uh, so this sort of has more of the insinuation of being baptized in the spirit. God seals us with the Holy Spirit at salvation. And then 1 John chapter 2, uh, just turning there, these are the pages of my Bible, verse 20. It says, uh, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. And so the teaching of being anointed in the New Testament is for all new covenant believers for actions of service, for service. God has anointed all of us for service. Uh, this is a fact. So in the Old Testament sort of had a little bit more of a chosen one. God would anoint a person to be a prophet or a king. You know, so it was a visual uh, uh, way. David, King David was anointed. Jehu was anointed. I mean, there was very distinct times when, when the oil was poured over people to show that they were anointed by God for a specific purpose. Uh, whereas in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, now the Holy Spirit seals us all at salvation. Therefore, uh, that anointing is more in the context of uh, we are uh, anointed for life, for service, for serving the Lord in, in the capacity that he gives us to serve him. So the teaching um, uh, of being anointed is for all new covenant believers for service uh, for God's kingdom. Now, Often, again, I, I have to kind of take it back to sort of these charismatic circles where the teaching of being anointed by God is sometimes referred to as the second blessing, where like you're first, you know, baptized with the Spirit, but then God has to anoint you with a second anointing in order to sort of get a second blessing of the Spirit. That teaching is not biblical. And I, again, I know some of you listening are upset by hearing this and maybe like disagree with me. And again, you could welcome to send me your thoughts, but, but there's no biblical basis for a second blessing, for a second moment when you get the Holy Spirit again and where it manifests itself against the tongues. I've, you can go look at our, my morning minutes. I've done a series on this in the teaching of First um, uh, Corinthians and uh, uh, tons of biblical resources out there that you can, if you need more details, you know, and beyond the context of this podcast, I'm happy to send you um, towards books and resources that I think would be helpful to you. So the teaching of, be anoint, of being anointed by God as a second blessing, where now the manifestation of the tongues as a sign of anointing, that is not biblical. Whereas, the, whereas I still believe in the new covenant, there is a sense of God's, when people talk about, well, he's so anointed. Uh, by the way, often that is referred to with a person who's preaching the gospel, the anointing. Uh, I, I don't think it, it is only in that. I really believe that in the anointing that God gives um, to accomplish a work in his kingdom, this empowering that God gives to his people to accomplish God's work can be seen in any 
of the gifts of the Spirit. You might be an artist and God has anointed you to perform your art in a certain way that glorifies God and helps build the kingdom of God and reflect the beauty of God. You, you might be, you know, a writer and that God might have, has anointed you to a certain work. Maybe you're a woodworker. I mean, there's a lot of creative processes where God has anointed people different. And certainly in the preaching of the gospel, there's an anointing that God can give. That is, again, that is not the indwelling of the spirit, but it might be sort of God's, uh, God's, um, uh, setting you apart for a purpose. I love, in fact, when I, uh, gave my life, uh, to, to vocational ministry, uh, the context was in uh, from Acts chapter 13 and Romans 1, where uh, Paul and Silas, you know, God really impressed on my heart the passage there, and then reaffirmed it in Romans 1:1, 1, 1, where where um, Paul and Silas, uh, Paul and Barnabas, I'm sorry, were set apart for the work to which God had called them, and sort of the setting apart. There's a kind of a, a a picture of an anointing of a protective sort of empowering uh, uh, call to do a work uh, for you in a specific season. I do believe that that uh, as part of your calling is a biblical concept. So there's a distinction between being filled with the spirit, right? So, so you're, you're baptized with the spirit at salvation. You're filled with the spirit daily in order to yield yourself to the spirit. And that is reflected by obedience to God and his word. And then there's an anointing that is sort of a distinction, which is sort of God's empowering you to do a work that he may have called you to you might be a teacher or a mother and god has anointed you for this service in this season and um the degree to which you experience this anointing is also directly proportional uh, to that freedom you give the spirit to be the lord of your life so so at the end of the day when it comes to the manifestation of the spirit at work in your life that is in direct proportional to, to you saying yes to god to you giving the spirit of god the freedom to uh, rule in your heart and your life. That is why Christians call God the Lord of our life. It is because he is indeed the Lord of our life. And so if you understand that language, uh, I believe you're probably walking in obedience. And if you struggle with it and you go, man, my life, why does God have to rule my life? Then um, let me introduce you to King Jesus. Uh, he um, came to earth in order to die for our sins. He gave his life out of love so that we would never have to pay the price for our own sin. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of salvation. And the minute you turn to God and confess your sin and give him your life is the minute the Holy Spirit becomes indwelt in you and you are no longer your own. And the minute you make that decision, it is the best news that you'll ever receive from now until you see Jesus face to face. I hope you know the Lord. If you don't, I hope you say yes to him today. And I, uh, urge you to come back for more. Uh, this has been our episode in Dearlina. If you have any questions for me about God, faith, culture, please send it to me at dearlina at livingwithpower.org. And if you would like to join us on Thursday nights, I teach live at our Facebook community page. In order to get there, just go to livingwithpower.org. At the top of the page, you'll see a blue box that says join our community. I'd love to see you there. Hey, have an awesome day and I'll catch you again next week.